Welcome to Tiger Space, an audio short story podcast featuring original stories by Roger Colby. Tune in and blast off to strange worlds, odd corners of the imagination, and science fiction wonderment. Roy thought that six days in a spacesuit was intolerable even for a convicted felon, and so reluctantly decided that he would voice his concern to Manitatron about it. He had suffered through long days of mining before, but never like this week. The chalky red rock of Mars chipped and scattered about him as he dug one of the deeper mines of his five-year sentence. Go mine Mars. Shorten your sentence. In protest, he switched off the borer beam and set the chunky device on the rust-red dirt. He thought about the unofficial prisoner motto, Greed must go on and the disgruntled mantra of all Mars miners, sentenced to the long hours of labor because of some crime or another, from petty theft to murder. Millions of them, digging like fire ants beneath the surface of this dead world with ice-blue borer beams in hand, hoping to one day mine enough ore to satisfy their robot foreman, to satisfy a sentence. As he climbed aboard the mine elevator, his knees creaking painfully, He flipped a few switches, ignoring the auditory warning that his shift had not yet ended and that he would face another week of diminished food rations if he proceeded, and thought about Gwari Hussar and whether or not she would ever remember him or even care that he ended up here, that she might forgive him. She had such soft hair. Even though the elevator's speed hurt his gut, it took him ages to reach the surface. When the doors slid open, he lumbered silently across the burnt orange landscape, his thick soles kicking rubble here and there, passing near the junky evacuation rocket that sat unattended and forgotten save the sentry guns that sprang to life at his approach and then powered down as he stalked away. Nearby stood Manitatron 72343-4, Roy's warden, who turned methodically toward him, its yellow paint chipped and faded, Rusty metal beneath, its somewhat humanoid appearance angular and slightly taller than Roy. Intimidatingly taller. State the purpose for abandoning your shift, Prisoner 2273-9, came the deep voice that was lower than any human voice could manage, with a vibrato that buzzed Roy's helmet speakers. Request immediate break, said Roy evenly. Prisoner 2273-9 is exhausted. I I need a break. Designated meal break is not scheduled at this time. Please return to work immediately or face solitary confinement for the remainder of your shift, plus nutrient feed via injection. He had done that once. Unyielding metal arms locked him in a box where a microfilament needle jabbed a vein once a day and made sure he kept up his strength. He decided to press it anyway. Request immediate break 72343-4, he pleaded, tears beginning to well. Please. It shifted on its metal legs, and Roy saw a tiny spray of hydraulic fluid escape its left knee joint to glide out a few feet above the surface, little spinning globs of red on a burnt orange background that eventually settled to the dirt. Waste Recycling Unit on Mining Suit of Worker 2273-9 Operating Within Parameters, it said, as if that were meant to help his situation. 
The suit recycled his urine and feces, but he never got used to the taste of the drinking water or the idea of what it used to be. This statement was simply the routine of the company, the routine of the five or so automated statements that Managatron was programmed to say, and Roy had heard them all countless times. It followed up this statement with another, and Roy mouthed the words. Report, Report immediately to your post, to prisoner 223-9. Shift change in seven Martian hours. That is all. Managatron turned and strode away, its knees spewing tiny red droplets, and Roy hung his head, his arms relaxing at his side. He could not remove his helmet, could not enter the airlock of Mining Base 224238-8, stroke and fall into the shower stall, could not cram himself painfully into his efficient sleeping alcove, could not dream of Gwari Hassar. He turned, passed slowly by the forgotten escape rocket, paused briefly to consider facing the sentry guns to climb aboard, and then passed on by to enter the elevator and delve the twelve or so kilometers where he finally shuffled over to his borer beam. He winced as he hoisted it to his hip and began the slow process of chipping away at the company's precious ore, their greed having exhausted all resources on Earth. Beam carved chunks of red rock Huge blocks crumbling down to the floor of the mine silhouetted by the ambient banks of LED lights, their soft glow making strange and horrible shadows on the walls. And then he broke through to a void. A cloud of compressed gas erupting into the room. He absent-mindedly ran the beam for a bit before shutting it down again and dropping it to the powdery red dirt he crunched a few steps forward to peer into the inky blackness of the hole. Reaching up to his helmet, he switched on his lamps and found a rust-stained corridor, and even though he had not realized the significance of his find, the old stories of some lost Martian civilization buzzing in his brain, he stepped in through the hole delicately, his knees creaking, and put his hand on the sandpaper walls. Recorder on, he stammered. Found a shaft that doesn't appear to be natural. Uh, investigating further. Prisoner 2273-9, you have shut down your borer beam. Please continue working. The throaty voice of Managatron coughed and died in a sea of static as he moved further down the hallway within the void. Even though he could not hear his own footfalls, he felt a vibration beneath his soles, an energy, and the hallway stretched on into darkness, his helmet lamps illuminating rusted walls, the outward edges slightly curved with no right angles, felt like a rusty tube, like looking at the inside of a straw found in the garbage. He moved forward, noticing a soft red glow ahead of him, his arms outstretched to touch the walls with his heavy gloves, the rust flaking off and drifting to the floor in a fine dust. He moved on, ignoring his stomach's message to his brain that he needed to eat, and he soon emerged in a titanic chamber the size of which caused his mind to nearly fail him. He stood at the edge of a dimly lit spherical room with long, rusted metal shafts that protruded from the walls toward the center in uneven patterns and in different lengths. The shortest of them to Roy seemed to be the length of that tower in Dubai before it fell in the war. He walked for what seemed an hour toward the center, his helmet beams bouncing off of rusted metal surfaces until he finally reached what could only be called a console, 
a raised dais with a podium-shaped object made of the same rusting metal with what looked like a massive lever that protruded from the center. A groove the same size as the lever bifurcated the podium. He was not an archaeologist, but he thought that all of this must be extremely old, the builders long since abandoning their handiwork. His dust-covered gloved hands reached out to touch the ancient console, and he felt a vibration in his fingertips before they ever brushed the metal, an electricity thrumming beneath it, a power of age-old technology. His hands moved to the lever. At least that is what he thought it was, a rusted metal shaft that rose from a groove in the top panel, a spherical knob at the end, the knob made from some black material that phosphoresced when his helmet lamps washed across it. Nothing. It would not budge. He removed a tool from his belt, a heavy metal hammer used for testing the density of ore, and he banged on it, the sound of which could not be heard in this place without air, but he could feel it through his glove, and he could feel something give as a paper-thin sliver of rust fell from the lever. He tried again, this time feeling it break loose and pull toward him as if it willed itself to follow the movement of his hands, and soon it was pulled completely toward him, and a yellow light began to glow beneath the rusted face of the console, breaking out of the corrosion like the sun behind storm clouds. He touched the light, and another, green light, flashed beneath the yellow one, and he moved his hand there and the massive cathedral of a room suddenly became awash with an eerie blue light. He bent backward at the waist and peering above him saw a massive ball of bluish electric light pulsating and growing larger, ominously causing his helmet speakers to crack with the life of the feedback that made his teeth grind. His hands rose instinctively to the sides of his helmet as if to block out the sound, but it was of no use. The deafening noise rattling his eardrums, the pain shooting through his brain like a superheated ice pick. He ran, turning back to where he had entered, his feet falling soundlessly on the floor of the massive room, the only thing audible to him, the sound of the horrible feedback and the rising tempo of his own breathing. He grunted, nearly swooning, and found the entrance to the room eventually, his headlamps bouncing around the severely rusted walls, the rust falling in sheets from the ceiling, and when he finally made it to the elevator, there was a thrumming vibration in the ground that grew in intensity, the dirt beneath his feet vibrating and rocking, his stomach churning with absolute fear. The elevator could not move fast enough, and when it neared the surface it abruptly halted, something above falling to smack the top of it, a rock perhaps, and he climbed, his breath rasping, his knees arguing with him, up the escape ladder to the surface only to find the outside world in chaos, the ground shaking with a magnitude beyond the human mind to grasp. His robot warden, pinned beneath a fallen chunk of rock, one broken metal arm waving at him as he staggered, the feedback subsiding toward the escape ladder. The sentry guns sprang to life, not giving any warning before firing their superheated beams at his arm first as a warning, but it was too late, and he glimpsed from the far right range of his visor a mist of escaping air and crimson. He fought through it, and a rock from a nearby cliff crashed down on one of the guns, the other firing him, this time burning an immortal wound through his abdomen, but he fought through it. He found the hatch, popping the safety loose with a trembling gloved hand, the ground shaking beneath him, the soundless horror of it all beyond his understanding, and as he climbed within the capsule and closed the door, 
the rocket lifting far above the crumbling surface of Mars. He felt the air normalize around him, enough to remove his helmet, his wound feeling as if someone had taken a blowtorch to his liver and then left a hot coal there. He rose higher and higher, and he stared out of the single porthole, sweat pouring across his eyes, and saw the rust-red planet of Mars breaking up, large chunks of the crust falling away, smashing into the orbiting processing stations and killing thousands, their hulls imploding and scattering like glitter on the black, velvety backdrop of space. But then he screamed. It could not stop screaming, even though it hurt him so badly to do so. His precious blood bubbling from his stomach and small globules that floated in the zero gravity. Inside the planet Mars, now revealed after eons of time, a massive machine, its insectoid legs extending outward, a city-sized bolt of blue lightning flashing between metallic rusted antennae, turned slowly its crab-like metal carapace releasing millennia of space dust and red rock that had formed a planet around it. And as Roy slipped in and out of blackness of oblivion, he realized the maddening truth that it was moving, its gargantuan thrusters coming to life toward Earth. Thank you for listening to Tiger Space. All content is copyrighted. Please visit rogercolby.com for Roger Colby's books and his weekly blog.